0: It's All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. Today our Off the Road Interview series continues. Find it on our HPR app at hawaiipublicradio.org. Look for the banner on the right-hand column and subscribe to it in Apple and Spotify podcasts. And we have a return visit from Herb Alpert, a legendary musician, co-founder of a and Records, and at 85, still going strong, recently releasing Herb Alpert Is, both a CD box set and a documentary. A big aloha and mahalo, my brother. Welcome back and thank you for doing this.
1: Pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Where are you now and is this where you've been since the start of the pandemic?
1: I'm right in front of my piano at home. <laughs> <laughs> we live in Malibu, been here for many, many a moon. I like being near the ocean. That's why I, I love Hawaii so much. You know, we have a place right on the ocean there and uh, miss it.
0: You do have a great place here, and we've been privileged to actually record a a nice interview there. Kind of take us back to uh, first becoming aware of the pandemic in any ways it's touched you both professionally and also personally, Herb.
1: Well, it touched us professionally, because Lonnie and I do um, about 50 concerts a year. And we were scheduled to play throughout uh, Canada, the eastern part of the United States, and then this uh, very famous jazz club in uh, London. And uh, we had to postpone everything, the entire tour. And I'm a little reluctant to whether we're going to be able to uh, do anything in this year, 2021. I think it's all going to happen in 22. so... Yeah, we're disappointed about that, but uh, my goodness, it's something that uh, took us all off guard. And uh, I think we were uh, not as coordinated as we needed to be with this thing uh, looming around us. We've been through a lot, the whole bunch of us uh, in the world. I mean, it's kind of a tragic moment in our history.
0: There's no question on so so many different levels, and just uh, riffing on what you said, was that Ronnie Scott's? Was that the famous jazz club in London you were going to be at?
1: Yeah, you got it, Ronnie Scott's. We were going to play there for a week.
0: Are you keeping yourself kind of removed from contact with folks?
1: Oh, are you kidding? My wife Lonnie has me tethered to our property here. She won't let me out. She's <laughs> she's afraid. Yeah, we've been we've been very cautious, uh, especially at my age. You know all the terrible things you hear. If you get COVID, you might as well, you know, check in at a cemetery. So she's, you know, very afraid that something might happen, but we've been fine. So far, we're very cautious and uh, lucky. Yeah. Grateful, too.
0: I wonder if that's how your philanthropic heart works, too, Herb. I know you offer a lot of support with the Herb Alpert Foundation, 98 organizations last year, some in urgent need due to the pandemic. You've got the 27th Herb Alpert Award in the Arts to honor 10 artists held virtually coming up May 20th, each receiving 75 grand.
1: Yeah, well, Dave, to tell you the truth, I want I want to try and keep art alive. I think we need the artists The artists are the uh, second responders. I'm so uh, enamored with art because, you know, when I was eight years old, I had this opportunity in my grammar school in Los Angeles. There was a music class. They had a table filled with instruments. I happened to pick up the trumpet, couldn't make a sound out of it because I thought you just blow hot air into it. But when I finally made a sound, Dave, I was uh, amazed that it was was talking for me. The, The trumpet was actually saying the things I couldn't get out of my mouth because I'm an introvert, basically. I'm a card-carrying introvert. And the trumpet was uh, doing all sorts of things and and made it a lot easier for me. And through the years, it just has taken me to some very interesting places. And I wanted all kids to have that type of opportunity.
0: Let's do a music story from the movie, actually. Part of the film covers your association with Sam Cooke.
1: Well, the whole time that I spent with him I stick out, this was a beautiful human being, a great artist. Uh, I don't know whether I told the story in the in the documentary or not, but you know, he used to uh, have a notebook filled with lyrics, songs that he was gonna write. And he came up to me and he said, Herbie, what do you think of this lyric? And so I was reading this lyric thinking to myself, man, this is the corniest lyric <laughs> I have ever seen. And I didn't say that to him. I said, but Sam, what's the song like? Is there a melody to this? So he picked up his guitar and started playing. And all of a sudden, he's transformed this corny lyric into something that was really special. And at that point, it was the aha for me, thinking that, man, it ain't what you do. It's the way how you do it. And here's a really, really interesting story about Sam. Lou Adler and I were partners, and we wrote wonderful world with sam Mm -hmm. don't know much about history don't know much that we wrote that one and so sam wasn't sure whether that was a good song or not so he made a demo of the musicians that were available to him at the time at keen records and he decided he just wasn't that interested in it and so keen records put that on the shelf and then sam left the record company and started recording for rca victor and had a lot of success with rca victor so that was the one thing that they had in the archives this record of a uh, wonderful world so keen records decided to release it and here's the point it's the biggest record sam ever had right <laughs> <laughs> didn't know if it was a hit or not but nobody knows what a hit record sounds like you got to put it out there and the people will tell us Sam was an amazing teacher, you know, he taught me so many things, he was like a mentor, but he didn't know that. His instincts were fabulous, and then he decided to start his own record label, which he did, called SAR Records. And he found this one artist that was from the Caribbean, and he was about to interview him, and he wanted me and Lou to be part of the interview. This guy comes in and this guy was extremely handsome and had a like a little stool to put his leg on while he was playing guitar and singing. And I was looking at him thinking like, oh, man, this guy is good. I'm sure Sam's going to sign him in no time. I was in the control room with Lou and the artist was in the studio. So Sam walks in and says, what do you think? I said, man, I I think the guy's good. He says, well, do me a favor. Turn your back on him and listen to him for a few minutes. So I turned my back on him and I didn't get it. He didn't resonate the same way he did when I was looking at this extremely handsome guy. Wow. And I said, I know. Yeah, I don't get it the same way. He said, that's right, man. People don't care if you're black or white or what kind of echo chamber you use. They're just listening to a cold piece of wax, brother. And it either makes it or it don't, you know. And at that point, that thought was riveted on my forehead because whenever I auditioned an artist at a and I always did it with my eyes closed, not looking at him. I didn't want to be intimidated by someone who could dance like Michael Jackson or anybody else. I just wanted to hear that artist. And those are the people that I, I, I signed, the people that touched me.
0: That's a lot of insight right there. And uh, another cat who comes up several times, actually, in the documentary, Quincy Jones.
1: Quincy is one of those guys. He's So active. He has like 18 balls in the air at the same time. He's in my top 10 of wonderful people I've known in my life.
0: What's a favorite moment or story of being with him?
1: Oh, you know, Quincy and I produced a single record by Billy Eckstein. Great singer. He had a great band, and he discovered a lot of wonderful musicians. So we were doing this single with him. Quincy did the the arrangement, and Billy was in the studio earphones on, ready to sing. And Quincy's uh, arrangement had this long intro. And Billy Eckstein says, hey, baby brothers, uh, I can have have some sex and do a lot of things before it's time to come in here. (laughs) Can you make a shorter intro for me? (laughs) So I I don't know, there's something about that story that touches me in terms of, you know, Quincy knew exactly what he was talking about and it didn't, didn't offend him. He just, you know, cut the thing down and off we went. I love but, it. But, you know, Quincy was uh, We Are the World. He was the guy that, he was the linchpin for that whole thing. That was done in our A&M studios.
0: One of the cats who also connects to that empire uh, that is featured throughout the documentary several different times, actually, is Sting, uh, frontman for The Police, enormous
1: solo artist. Yeah, Sting is a, a wonderful guy. The first time I met him, the police, they were playing at the Whiskey a Go-Go. I was there with my partner and they were performing. And it was like, wow, these three guys, they were making noise. Like there was like at least seven, eight people on <laughs> on the stage. And Sting was bouncing around the stage like he was on a pogo stick singing. <laughs> I'm crazy about him. Sometimes lives in New York, but sometimes lives in uh, Tuscany he grows grapes he bottles wine he sends me 12 bottles of wine every year and, and, and this year he, he he sent a whole bucket of uh olive oil wow that they're doing at uh, his place in tuscany
0: it's herb alpert the latest guest in our off the road series hear this in the entire series on our app or at hawaiipublicradio.org. Look for the banner on the right-hand column and subscribe to it on Apple and Spotify podcasts. And next week, we'll conclude with Herb Albert. I'm Dave Lawrence.